Praise God. Please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're at the end of this chapter. Got just a few verses left. And uh, I'm excited about this book. We will get into 2 Timothy another time, probably not right after 1 Timothy. Uh, one pastoral epistle is great for a while, and then uh, we might move to another book like Ephesians or Jude or something like that. I'm praying about that. I want to go to the book of James uh, on Sundays before too long. Uh, in Timothy, it's kind, of an, it's kind of interesting what Paul says here, and it's actually a very debated verse, so we'll probably have to talk about it a little bit. Because it's a fundamental verse that used, is used in a specific debate that is going on in the church actually for centuries now. It would be good if you understand it and, uh, and how it also applies to your life. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we've finished all the way through verse 13 where Paul has given us a pretty lengthy description of the qualifications for elders and then deacons. And then uh, in verse 14, he says, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. So Paul wants Timothy to set things right at the church of Ephesus. As you know, we've been looking at the context of the book. There are a lot of false teachings that are circulating at Ephesus, and there are false teachers that have risen up in the church. A couple of them have already been handed over to Satan. Uh, in chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, we read about that. And that's how serious the Lord is about guarding his truth. And, you, and I'm kind of you know, priming the pump, so to speak. God really is concerned about truth. A lot of times people look for churches based on how they are made to feel. Ah, oh, the worship makes me feel so good. That's why I go there, you know. Or there's a really nice lady there or whatever, you know. And uh, the, the, God's word puts facts way before feelings, puts his truth way before feelings, amen? If you love his truth and you find a church that stands for truth uh, and loves truth, uh, then the feelings will come. But you don't, you don't search for truth based on feelings, but based on truth, amen? And it's interesting because Paul here, wants, he longs to go to see Timothy and encourage the church at Ephesus. Timothy is not an apostle, but Paul is writing with apostolic authority, encouraging him to pastor that church as a young pastor and to appoint elders to help him. Uh, and then he says in verse 15, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. So what he's going to continue to write is about how they ought to conduct themselves in the household of God. What he's just written has to do a lot with how they are to conduct themselves in the household of God. In fact, when you look at chapter 2, he talks about the order of worship and prayer and the role of men and women in worship. And then in chapter 3, he talks about uh, the, the behavior of the leaders in the church. And by the way, we're all Christians equal at the, at the foot of the cross. Amen. God has chosen people to do different functions uh, and we can't say we're not in need of each other. The eye cannot say the hand. Paul said, I have no need of you. Amen. We're just, we just do different roles, but we walk together and submit to the Lord, and we hope to be a, a well-oiled, that is, oiled by the oil of the Spirit, amen, machine for God, but more than a machine, a living spiritual organism, uh, which we are as part of the church of the living God. Now, it's interesting, uh, when he says this, he wants them to learn, know how to conduct themselves in the house of God. The temptation for me, and I'm not going to do it, is to go through all these verses we just went through where he talks, this is what the conduct is supposed to be like. So I'm not going to go through all that because we've been studying that now for months, right? 
But it's right there for you in chapter 3 and chapter 2. And it's very, very important to understand this because uh, this order that God gives, there's such an attack on the church right now. Uh, there's, we just did a Good Fight radio show a few weeks back, uh, you know, maybe a couple month and a half ago. Uh, Charles Stanley's son, a very Andy Stanley, very popular pastor, talking about how you know he wants to allow homosexuality, homosexuals to be in good standing in the church, as though we're all Christians together. You know, and we played clips from his deal, and and where late girls complaining, saying, "My husband left me for another man, and you're letting him be." You know, greet everybody at the front door, and then this member on the worship team, and all these things are going down, and he's like trying to defend his position. You know. And it's such a, and then we show his dad saying the Bible condemns the act, not condemns homosexuals in the sense that God doesn't want to save them, wants to save them, but the activity of homosexuality. Right now, the homosexuality is coming in the church. Well, if you read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, it's on the list of those who are under God's judgment. So loving those that are involved in homosexuality, those who are involved in uh, uh, adultery, those who are involved in fornication, God wants us to warn them. Amen? That's how we love people and so forth. So, but right now, people are not just being taught that we need to accept uh, this movement within the church, but also these people that embrace these lifestyles, contrary to our spiritual convictions based on God's word, uh, are supposed to allow them to have the positions in the church and so forth. And he also talks about leadership in 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Timothy 3. And elders, he says, are to be taken from among the men. Amen? I've told you a long time, for a long time, it's wrong for men to want to have babies. Okay? It's just wrong. It's not biblical. And to want to wear dresses and, and wear high heels and pretend they're women. And right now there's a huge movement where, guess what? You're a bad person if you do not acknowledge that a man can turn himself into a female, even biolog though biologically, everything about that person denies that reality. And you can change things about your body, but you don't change your DNA. You don't change who God made you to be. And right now, those who disagree with this movement and are, the, are you know, basically the new emperor, right? Saying the emperor has no clothes. This is a man pretending to be a woman, are under a lot of fire. Well, what's happening now is they're trying to make homosexuality normative in the church, trying to make women pastors, trying to allow men to pretend they're women, and so forth. All of this is unbiblical. And what I love about 1 Timothy 3.15 is that he specifically states that these things are written. Why? Why does Paul write this? Because a lot of people say, oh, well, Paul was just kind of talking about what he wanted to, hap to happen during that period of time. You know, if Paul was alive today, he would have just amended his teaching, you know. But I show you in the Scripture that his order regarding men and women and how they're to function in the church in chapter 2 is based on the order of creation, not on what's going on in the culture. I'm not going to go back and make all the arguments I made back then. I gave several of those biblical arguments that absolutely refute this lie that, you know, whether it's allowing homosexuality in the church or uh, having women as pastors or lies today that it's also contradicts creation. God created the male and female, the two would become one flesh, that a man could become a woman or a woman could become a man. This is unbiblical, and you have to be ready for persecution. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus, it says, will suffer persecution. A trans person just shot up a school and killed a number of people, including a few children, a few babies, a few little kids. Absolutely heartbreaking. And they just apprehended another person that was going to shoot up another school and said he was also planning on uh, shooting up churches. 
So we need to take a you need to say, hey, I need to take a stand. If, if my life goes because I stand for the truth, to be absent from the bodies, to be where? Present of the Lord. Let your faith be strong, man. This life is very quick. Make sure you live it with integrity, with a good conscience. For God's truth, you stand up for what's right. The name of this message is called Standing Up for the Truth in a World of Lies. So look again now at verse 15. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. So this is the behavior, this is the teaching that we're to uphold in, the, in, in, in light of God's truth. He says, now I love this, he says, which is the church of the living God. And the church is what? The pillar and support of what? The truth. The church exists as the bride of Christ for many reasons, but one reason is to be a support and a pillar for what? The truth. You're part of the church, man. Are you expecting Fox News to give the whole truth? Even though you get a lot more truth there than you will get on... MSBC or something, you know, you know, or, you know, CNN, but they're still not going to, they'll still talk about the whole trans situation, all the other things, but they're not going to necessarily tell you how to get saved. They're not going to give you the biblical scriptures that warn against that, that which become, you know, effeminacy, men becoming effeminate, 1 Corinthians 6, 8 and 9, or the scripture in the Old Testament where it says that man's not to put on that which pertains to a woman or a woman that which pertains to a man. Or 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul says a man's not supposed to look like a woman or, or you know, have long hair like a woman and so forth. When I got saved, man, I had long hair, man. I saw that scripture. I'm like, okay, I think I need a haircut, you know. And I'm not saying a guy can't have longer hair than, you know, where's the length, but he can't have long hair like a woman. He's not supposed to look effeminate, you know. So, uh, but the scriptures are real clear in these areas. And, you know, we know two will become one. We talked about that, right? Male and female. The two become one flesh. We see God's design. And the church, God used the church. And Jesus says he'd build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? Yeah. So you have to understand that we have not been... Ex did you, where did you get the resurrection message we had Sunday? Remember what we talked about? Jesus actually prophesied one of the evidences of resurrection was that he would rise from the dead and that he would have mass influence on the Gentile world more than Jonah did. And Jonah had a huge influence more than any other, Gen many, more than any other Jew before Jesus. Jonah had a, the biggest saving influence on the Gentile world. And we talked about the history of the world now that the gospel is spread throughout all these countries, right? And that Jesus said it would happen. And what do we do? We uphold the truth. It says right here that the church, the church of the living God, the pillar is what? The pillar. Pillars are awesome, man. We got some pillars in here. Right? But we don't just, if you look around, you see a couple pillars. That's just two pillars. Those pillars are cool, but I, we have all these other way cooler pillars. And it's you guys, man. You're part of the pillar. You're part of the church. A pillar and support of the truth. And man... Yeah, we play it a huge role, you know, and I hear a, uh, a uh, construction worker, not just a construction worker, a general contractor, a guy who builds buildings, say foundational, we're foundational. The church is, plays a foundational role in upholding the truth of God. You have an important role, and the church is not the pastor. Or the elders, they're just members of the church. We're all together. We all uphold the truth together, amen? You have a vital role, man, as, as the Christian church. And Jesus said, I'll build my church. He promised the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? And he hasn't been able to. Satan's tried a lot of different things. But here we stand by the grace of God. Now, it's interesting because 
This verse, I think, is really, really interesting because uh, there are a lot of people, a lot of churches, or and movements, and I should say cults and so forth, that mix up this verse and misuse it to mean that the church is the truth. Is, is that what it says? No. no, we're not the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The church upholds the truth. Amen? And every church, including this fellowship right here, every local church needs to be judged on the basis of whether or not they're holding up God's truth accurately. But you have movements like the Jehovah Witnesses, you know? I mean, we're, we test everything by God's words. God's word, Jesus says, thy word is truth in John chapter 17. Thy word is truth. Amen? Amen. How can a young man keep his way? By keeping it according to the word of God. Amen? I've hid your word in me, so I will not sin against you. Young man, you've overcome the evil one, the, porn, the, the porneron in the Greek, because he says, the word of God dwells in you. You want to be strong? Allow his word to dwell in you. But you have groups right now that want to confuse their people and make them think the church, their church, so-called, a lot of times they're just cults, like the Jehovah Witnesses. The Watchtower publication years ago said, if you have just the Bible and you don't have the Watchtower magazines, you'll be in darkness after two years if you just have the Bible. But if you don't have the Bible and you just have the Watchtower publications, you'll be in the light after two years. That is cultic mentality. If I ever say something like, if you have the Bible, you know, and just the Bible, but don't have Pastor Joe, you don't have light. That would just, that's demonic, I'm sorry, to talk like that. It's a demonic movement. You know, they've given them several false prophecies. 1914, Christ was supposed to come back, didn't. 1918, 1925, in the 1970s, I mean, they picked so many false dates. And Joseph Smith. I mean, long before John Lennon said, Christianity will vanish. I'm more popular than Jesus now. Joseph Smith said, you know, all Jesus' disciples, they all left him. He couldn't even hold the church together. I've held the whole church together. But the Mormons never left me. I mean, how do you talk like that? That's in the history of their church, their own writings. You know? Or Muhammad, you know? Muhammad claimed to be the ultimate prophet. He claimed that Jesus was a prophet. But you guys, he claimed that, you know, his, he was a greater prophet than Jesus. And then he twisted what Jesus was taught about Jesus. He said the angel Jabriel, or Gabriel, came to him and told him that he was a prophet. But he admitted early on to Katija, his wife, and he felt that he was possessed by a demon. It's in their writings. They'd throw a blanket over him. He'd foam at the mouth. He'd want to throw himself off a cliff because he felt he was a demon-possessed poet. And he says that his wife convinced him he was hearing from Gabriel, the angel. And Gabriel told him, and he wrote it in the Quran, or had it written in the Quran, that Jesus is not the Son of God. That Jesus did not pay for the sins of humanity. There's a real problem with this, you guys. Because Gabriel, a thousand years before, more than a thousand years before Muhammad comes on the scene, in Daniel chapter 9, Gabriel appears to Daniel and tells him that the Messiah will be cut off, killed. 
Muslims are taught, no, no, Jesus wasn't really crucified, you know. Many of them will say they crucified Judas instead. That comes out of Gnosticism, by the way. So they got it wrong. Oh, by the way, Gabriel only appeared one other time. When did Gabriel appear? He appeared to Mary in Luke chapter 1. And Sarah told her not to fear, and you will bear the Son of the Most High God. Ooh, man. The two things he declares about the Messiah that really stand out to me is that he will be the Son of the Most High God and that he'll be put to death. The very two things that this angel later, a thousand years after Daniel, 600, over 600 years after he appears to Mary, Gabriel says these two things, two main things. Then guess what happens? Muhammad hears, Jesus was not the Son of God, and he did not die for his people. He didn't die for the world. And that's part of the Quran, which is really a war manual against Christians and Jews. And by the way, Paul warned the church of Galatia. He said in chapter 2, verse 20, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gave himself up for me, right? He died for us. He's the Son of God. These very declarations he warns, he talks about to the church of Galatia, and he warns them about an angel coming to bring a different gospel. Remember that? Remember that? And he says to them in chapter 3, verse 1, to the church of Galatia, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's put a spell on you? And in verses 6 through 8, that's where he says, I marvel that you are so quickly being removed from him who's called you into the grace of life and the grace of Christ to another gospel. And that's when he says, if we or an angel from heaven, like one claimed to be Gabriel, preach another gospel to you than what you preach, let him be eternally condemned. That's right. Anathematized. Anathema in the Greek. Well, his angels, Hebrews 1, 13 and 14, he says he makes them ministering spirits. His angelic beings, they're, they're spirit beings. That's why there's fallen angels or demons. They can materialize, but they're the spirit world. Well, one of these angels comes to Muhammad, not Gabriel, obviously, claimed to be Gabriel, and says, you are an apostle, and I'm giving you the gospel, and stating it's based on the Bible. Because the Muslims say, oh, we believe the Bible, but it's just got to be translated accurately. And by saying that, they mean it needs to be translated where it fits what we teach all these years later. That's like me coming up with weird teachings, you know, that everybody has to dye their head hair pink with, uh, and have black polka dots in their hair, okay? And everybody has to walk or hop now. No one can just walk. And then you say, where is that the Bible? I say, the Bible's accurate except where it contradicts what I say. That's so obvious. And that's exactly what Muhammad was doing. But, you know, he wanted credibility, so he told the Muslims, ask the people of the book. That's us. Ask the Christians if these things are true. <laughs> Didn't ask me. I wasn't alive back then. But, hey, I talked to Muslims. I, I use these kind of scriptures to say, hey, the Bible warns about this. In fact, you know what? These demon spirits, these are antichrist spirits. These are fallen spirits. These are fallen angels. And if it cost me my life to talk like this, and I know we're out in the airways. I love Muslims. I want to see them come to Jesus and be saved. So be it. We have to stand up for the truth because we need to reach the lost. Okay? But I tell them, the Bible says in 1 John 4 and 1 John 2, it warns about the spirit of Antichrist. And the spirit of Antichrist denies, it says in chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, denies the Father and the Son. Islam denies that the Father gave his Son. They deny that you can become a child of God.
Chad just wrote a really cool tract, tract called, uh, on the, called The Prodigal Muslim. So you go out witnessing, you can grab some of those tracts. Some of them are up front. Uh, when you want to sh- if you're running Muslims, they're great to share with Muslims because they actually share how you can have a relationship with God. Now, brothers and sisters, we need to uphold the truth. But the JWs, the Mormons, and the Muslims, they do not uphold the truth. They twist the truth, and they say, well, the Bible's the word of God, so long as it's translated to agree with whatever we're saying now. Okay? We can't change God's word. In Deuteronomy, in Proverbs, in the end of book of Revelation, several times beyond that as well, we're warned not to add or take, to, take away from God's word. Amen? As a church, we uphold God's truth. We, truth. we don't manipulate his truth. Amen? We bow down to him. He's going he's gonna to judge everyone and everything before too long. So it's important that we are right with him. Now, it's interesting. Uh, I brought up a lot of groups who twist the word of God, but the, one of the biggest, besides Islam, is Roman Catholicism. And it's interesting because Roman Catholicism, uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, the church, the church doesn't just uphold God's truth. Supposedly, they're supposed to do that. There's the Roman Catholic, but they are the truth. The governing body of the Roman Catholic Church claims to be the truth. And if you show them scriptures where it says not to talk to dead people, where it says in Deuteronomy 18 not to communicate with the dead, or in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 19 and 20, to the word and the testimony, if they don't speak according to this word, that means they seek mediums who peep and mutter and they talk to the dead. He says, there's no light in them. He goes, should you not seek your God instead of the dead? Right? And if you show them scripture, it says you're not supposed to talk to Marian saints, those so-called saints who have died. They'll put, the Roman Catholics taught to put the Catholic Church above God's word because they're the sole interpreters of God's word. And they can make it say whatever they want it to say. Now, of course, they wouldn't say they're making it say whatever they want to say. Oh, no, we're just the ones who properly interpret it. It's just interesting because Martin Luther saw that the Roman Catholic Church was, you know, extorting money from people, sending coffers all around to build their big cathedrals. They needed more money, so they would tell the, the people that, hey, give money and you can spring your relatives out of purgatory, you know? Remember that? That's where the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation came from. Martin Luther was a Roman Catholic monk. He saw, I started reading the scripture. He realized Galatians says, well, I'm saved by grace through faith. What? I'm saved by the word of God. This is the guy who was whipping himself and flogging himself, trying to get right with God by causing enough self-harm and so forth. He realized, whoa, I'm saved by what Jesus did on the cross. I don't need to do all these things the Roman Catholic Church is telling me. Then he protested what they were doing. And the indulgences, selling salvation, which is demonic, and he wrote his 95 Theses and tacked it up there in the Wittenberg door. What's well, interesting, there's a Roman Catholic apologist who wrote a book named Dave Armstrong. And going off the 95 Theses, he writes a book trying to counter Christians, right? And, it, and his book's called The Catholic Verses, 95 Bible Passages That Confound Protestants. So he writes a book, you know, uh, The Catholic Verses, 95... Bible passages that confound Protestants. And I think it's interesting because Roman Catholics don't usually know their Bibles. It's heartbreaking. Why do you think so many millions of people became Christians, left the Roman Catholic Church? Why? Because they started reading their Bibles for the first time. I mean, how do you think the Reformation just 
spread like wildfire. Because and the Roman Catholics were trying to keep the Catholic the Bible out of their hands. It was it was a sin to read the Bible in the Roman Catholic Church for a long, long, long time. Because it you know because you're praying to this man, you keep calling him Father. But you, then you read Jesus said, "Call no man Father," as like a religious title. Or you're praying repetitiously on your beads and saying to our Father over and over again. Jesus says, don't pray repetitiously like the pagans. Pray our Father who art in heaven. Oh, well, we pray that. Yeah, you pray it over and over and over again. But I'll give you this. You don't pray as much as you pray the Hail Mary over and over and over and over again. Two, you used to be Roman Catholic. How many, how many hours would you guys say the same prayers over and over again? Or minutes, I don't know. For three hours on a Friday, you go and pray the same prayers over and over again? Praise God, you've been set free, sister. And you can just talk to your father like he is your father because he is your father. Man, if my kids came up to me and said the same thing over and 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 over again, I might give in, okay? But God doesn't do it that way, okay? <laughs> I don't think I would. I'd say, you know what, if you ask me one more time, you know, let's talk about it, but don't keep saying, Dad, will you give me this? 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 Uh, and they think they'll be heard by their much praying, and that's exactly... So you, you show this to the Roman Catholics, and, you know, the Scripture against these practices, and that you're not saved by what you do. Roman Catholicism does teach that there's merit in your good works that help you earn your salvation. I've proven that by quoting them. Now, it's interesting... Listen to this. I think it's really interesting. Armstrong says, now, when I mention his 95 verses that confound Protestants, guess which is the first one in his book? The one we're looking at tonight. That's his first example. Verse 15 of 1 Timothy 3. This is the very first thing he goes through in his book to prove Roman Catholicism. Because so many Catholic apologists are so on their heels getting Protestants just hammering them with verses saying, you guys need to see the truth. This guy's like, hey, wait, I've got verses for Protestants. And this is his first case in point. 1 Timothy 3.15. Let's read it again and see if it supports Roman Catholicism. But in case I'm delayed, well, that doesn't support him. Let's keep going, though. I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. Well, that doesn't help them because if we look at the context, which we will in a little bit, they're not even operating according to what the Scriptures teach right in the same vicinity of this verse as far as what their conduct should be in the Roman Catholic Church. But this is the part they seize upon, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Now, we've talked a lot about what it means to be the church of the living God and how we are a pillar and support of the truth. Amen? Well, how does Roman Catholic use this to teach that the Roman Catholic Church is the true church? I mean, you look at it and you say, yeah, how do they? I don't see it. I don't see it either. Because, but you let them practice some eisegesis. Okay. When, in, in biblical theology, when we talk about eisegesis, isis, or ice, I should say, means to ice, to read into something, to put into something. Exegesis, ek, comes from ek, uh, ek, you know, exegesis, to come out from or bring out from. Okay. Uh, the preposition ek often is used in the New Testament. We've studied it before, you know, uh, ek, ekbasis and some other Greek words we've talked about in the past. Uh, has to, do, to, to mean, you know, it's a preposition that speaks of bringing something out from within something. So when we go to Scripture, we practice exegesis. And it's a science of hermeneutics where we, we study what the Scripture is saying. Eisegesis is reading in the text something that's not there. Well, you won't get the Roman Catholic Church in verse 15 anywhere. 
Unless you practice eisegesis, but then it's no longer 315. It becomes your twisted version of 315. Listen to what Armstrong writes in his book on the 95 verses that should cause non-Catholics to shake in their boots. Something like that. I forget the title. He said, quote, Catholics accept this passage at face value. The church is the ground or foundation. It's the ground of the foundation. Okay, well, a lot of churches can say that. But I'm going to keep reading, and you let me know when you see something that he's reading into the text, okay? I don't want to have to tell you until after at least you make a guess. Catholics accept this passage at face value. The church is the ground or foundation, the word used in the New International Version translation, of truth. It is infallible. It is specially protected by the Holy Spirit so that it can be the guardian and preserver of apostolic tradition and truth and doctrine. Now, we agree with a lot of what's said there about the true church, but he introduced something there that's not in the text. Did anybody catch that? This is his first argument, the first verse he uses. Mark, you have a really cool smile over there, shaking your head up and down. What did he add to the text? What word? Did anybody catch it? Or, or Jeff? Mark, you say, what's that? Infallible. What are you going to say, Mark? Apostolic. Well, there's a little play on apostolic, which we'll get to in a minute. Now, let me read it again, just, just without the parentheses, because he mentions the NIV there. Catholics accept this passage as face value. Okay, well, that's good. The church is the ground and foundation of truth. It is infallible. Yeah, he's saying the church is infallible. No, you're all seeing it now, right? This says that the church upholds what? The truth. The Roman Catholic Church, Armstrong is saying, we take it at face value. Well, that'd be good if you did, but now you're not taking it at face value. You're jamming something in there, which is the Roman Catholic doctrine, saying that that text says that the church is infallible. Are you with me? Okay. These are the kind of shenanigans that seduce souls. And Armstrong must believe that Roman Catholics reading this are so gullible that they won't even notice that. Oh, yeah, I guess what that verse is saying. And even if it doesn't say that, I must believe the Roman Catholic leadership, so it must mean that. That's what you're taught to do as a Roman Catholic. It's a huge deception. And then, guess what? The Roman Catholic Church can change as it wants, and whenever it changes, it adds new doctrine. I mean, it wasn't until the 1800s that they came up with the Assumption of Mary and made that Catholic doctrine. You know, the Immaculate Conception means that she was assumed to heaven and she never even died. That's a new, relatively new teaching. And now Roman Catholics before that didn't believe that. If you believed it, you could be considered a heretic. Now all of a sudden it's truth. Because the Roman Catholic Church is infallible. Where does it say that? Oh, right here. What I'm doing for you is when you go witnessing, because this year we're trying to do a lot more sharing the gospel locally, right? And get ready. You're going to run into Roman Catholics. And most Roman Catholics don't know the arguments that Roman Catholic apologists use. But I'm giving you one of the top arguments they'll use to say that they're the true church. By the way, think about this. The Roman Catholic Church went so off the path that it's not recognizable as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Roman Catholic Church has a pope. Do you see a pope in the early church? No. The leader of the early church, when they have a church council in, in James chapter, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 15, who's the guy that s- says, this is my decision? Do you guys notice? No, it was. It wasn't Peter. That's right, it was James. You're right. And it's interesting, Peter was married, by the way. Popes can't be married. 
Mary goes and heals his mother-in-law's wife, or Jesus does, uh, his mother-in-law's wife, his, uh, his wife's mom, which was his mother-in-law. It's like, man, I contradict the very first part of my message, right? <laughs> uh, but it's kind of crazy when you think about it. So now listen to this. And this is uh, from the Catholic Encyclopedia, on, from the online version of the Catholic Encyclopedia. And without any basis in biblical authority, they state this, that, quote, beyond all question, they state, that as the divinely appointed teacher, they're talking about the Roman Catholic Church, as the divinely appointed teacher of revealed truth, the church is infallible. The church, therefore, is infallible in matters both of faith and morals. Wow. I'm quoting them. They... Yeah, the church, therefore, is infallible in matters of both faith and morals. Now, guys, they're taking what we believe. They're, they're saying it's, it's infallible. They're taking infallibility, inerrancy, that which we understand to be the true about God's word, right? And transferring it to themselves. That's why even though it's a world religion, it's very cultic. You become a cult when you put your authority over God's authority, over his word. And so the Catholic Church could tomorrow decide that homosexuality was okay among the priesthood. Yeah, it's true. And they could decide to make that decision. And guess what? Roman Catholics could say, wait a minute, that contradicts 2,000, or not for the Catholics, I mean, if you really be literal, about 16, 1,700 years of church history, that contradicts uh, what the Catholic Church has taught all the time. It contradicts 1 Timothy 1.10. It contradicts the book of Jude, verses 6 through 8. It contradicts Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 28 there. It contradicts 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. It contradicts all these different verses, Revelation chapter 22, verses 14 and 15. It contradicts all these scriptures that are against homosexuality in the New Testament. We haven't gotten to the Old, and they say, well... You don't understand the Bible. We're the sole interpreters. We are infallible. We are the Roman Catholic Church. And this is what the truth has been. Well, why didn't you say that all these years ago? Well, just like the assumption of Mary, God leads the church to understand truths better as we go on and so forth. Oh, whatever, you know, uh, hooey, they spit out at you. So it's really, really sad when you think about it. Now, it's interesting as well because... Uh, they say, well, man, you need us to understand the Word of God. You guys, the church upholds the truth. The true church does. And the true church, David said, I'm a companion with all those who fear you. True believers who truly accept the Lord Jesus Christ that you've never even met, who've been born again, and are, when you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, right, and you repent of your sins, you believe that he's, you confess with your, your mouth that he's Lord, right? You believe in your heart that God raised him dead. You're saved. You're part of the body of Christ. Amen. I mean, there were some guys casting demons out of somebody. The apostles didn't even know who they were. And he said, Jesus, what about these guys? What do you think they think they're doing? And Jesus says, if they're not against me, they're what? For me. There's all kinds of Christians that we've never met and you haven't heard about uh, that, that truly love Jesus, that are brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? But if you're, being, but if you're believing in a, in, a, in a distorted gospel where you have to work your way to salvation, that becomes a different gospel. So what if the church at Galatia Remember the church of Galatia? What the Judaizers, these were the folks that came into the church of Galatia and taught that you had to be circumcised. You had to keep the Mosaic law to be saved. You had to be, have Jesus and also be circumcised. What if that, that movement prevailed and they continued to grow 
And they continue to be in existence to this day. And they say, hey, look, we go all the way back to the first century. And they're still teaching that you had to be circumcised to be saved. Would that make them, the church, even if they had 2,000 years of history, yes or no? No, it would make them a counterfeit church. Paul said they were cut off from Christ. So I don't care how old a church claims to be. If you're claiming, if you're teaching that you can wear a brown scapular and, be, and then go and suffer for your sins that Christ didn't really pay for in purgatory and then Mary will save you, on the, you know, before the end of the week, that's heresy. Okay? Those are false teachings. And if you say, well, we're, look at if somebody from the Galatian church that believes that you've got to be circumcised to be saved and so forth, then at least they're taking things out of the Old Testament. The Roman Catholic Church just makes a bunch of stuff up that can save you. It's even worse, you know? Um, and I'm not saying the Old Testament's awesome, but you don't use Old Testament law as a means of salvation. So my, my, my point, brothers and sisters, is this. If the, if, if the Galatian church, it was 2,000 years old, and was teaching that you had to do those things to be saved. And then they said, hey, look. Look at what it says in verse 15. That we're a pillar and a support of the truth. Okay, well, you're not really supporting the truth. Paul said you'd be cut off because of your false gospel. But, well, we're not only a support of the truth, but look at what it says. It says that we're infallible. Uh, no, it doesn't say the church is infallible here. And it's not even talking about you. Because you're not upholding the truth. So this verse doesn't even apply to the Roman Catholic Church as infallible. Because it doesn't say anything about infallibility here, right? The only thing that's infallible is God's truth. The church's role is to uphold it. And the Roman Catholic Church is distorting the truth. Are you with me tonight? This is serious stuff because if so many people go into the Roman Catholic Church and it's like the Pharisees, they make them twice the children of hell. Okay? All of a sudden, they, they, they could be taught about the grace of God and what Christ had done for them. And they could be saved by grace through faith and not of themselves. But it's a gift of God, lest not by works, lest anyone should boast, as Paul said. And Paul said he didn't save us on the basis of what, the good deeds that we've done, but on the basis of his grace. Amen? So we're saved by grace through faith. Now, it's interesting because uh, God's word, God's word, God's truth, you guys, would still exist, okay, if there were no churches at all. Do you understand that? God's truth, his word exists as truth, even if there were no church, churches at all. And his truth is still the truth, and it's the word of God, whether anybody believes it or not. Amen? Amen. That's the fact. Are you with me? Amen. So whether the church upholds it or not, God's truth is his truth. Amen? Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So the Roman Catholic Church doesn't decide what is truth. They don't make the truth the truth. God's truth was truth the minute his written word was truth the minute it left the, the pen left the, the, the ink on the paper. Do you understand? Amen. And it was by, written not by popes and cardinals and Roman Catholic priests who have to be celibate, which is unbiblical as well, but by holy men who moved along by the power of the Holy Spirit. Even in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now I praise God, you guys, that we have his word, but you know what? The Catholic Church has gone so beyond what his word says. I mean, they've added so many things to Scripture, and I don't have time to enumerate them because I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about the Roman Catholics' belief, but listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 6. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. Brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. We're not supposed to go beyond the written word of God. Amen? 
So if somebody in our fellowship says, you have to start doing this to be right with God, but they don't have scripture and verse, say, where is that in God's word? Amen. We need to be men and women of the word. Amen. Upholding God's word. You know what happened, you guys? When Paul was sharing the word of God with the Bereans, remember that? He's sharing the word of God and that Jesus is the Messiah, telling these Jews, telling these folks, you guys need to come to the Messiah and be saved. But you know what? They did. And Paul didn't get all upset about it. Go to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. I love this. I love this verse, but I want you to just, <laughs> I want you to read it with me. Acts chapter 17. And I love what it says about these folks. And may this be said about you. May this be said about us. May this be said about all of us. Verse 10, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into a synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Those in Berea, the Bereans. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? For they received the word with what? Great eagerness. Then what? Amen. Examining the scriptures or they searched the scriptures. How often? Daily. Daily to see whether these things were so. What were they doing? They're testing Paul and Silas. They're saying, let's see if what they're saying, that the, they're saying the Old Testament says about what the Messiah would be like in, in, in his death. They're probably looking at Isaiah 53 and other passages. They're like, whoa. Wow. Did you notice he, Isaiah 60, 53, I thought, man, our, in the synagogue we skipped that. I don't know if they skipped it back then, but you know, today they do. Today the Jews skip that at synagogue, you know. Some of you are like, man, you know, they skipped that, but he's right, it's here, the text in Isaiah. They didn't have chapters, but you know, back in those days, they weren't chapter breaks. But guys, they searched the scriptures to test them, to see if what they were saying was true, amen? amen. Oh, don't do that with the Roman Catholic Church. Because back in the day, man, you'd be killed by the Inquisition. You'd be killed by testing them and saying, this is not biblical. Give me your Bible. You're not supposed to. They're burning Bibles, man. The Roman Catholic Church. No kidding. And Paul didn't say, how dare you search the Scriptures and don't just believe what I've told you. I'm an apostle. No. He was humble, man. He's like a messenger of the truth. Amen? <laughs> yeah, he's like, check it out. You know? I love that. And it's interesting because... Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental prince, uh, spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul says, and he warns in 2 Timothy 4.3, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Now you guys, I think it's interesting in the Roman Catholic Church, okay, hmm, let me see. Here Paul's saying the church upholds the truth, right? Hmm, that's interesting. It's a, it's a pillar and a support of the truth, which is very important. When he says this, it's very interesting because in, in non-Catholic Christian churches, true Christian churches, there are pastors and elders, the pastors and elders can be single or they could be the husband of 
How many wives? How do you know that? How come all you guys are sticking up one finger and saying one wife? As you guys are saying that with some kind of authority. It must be in the Word of God. Amen? Right? But guess what? The Roman Catholic priesthood cannot be the leaders in their church, so-called, cannot be the pastor of one wife. They have to be celibate. Is there any Bible verse that says that? No. Even the Breans can't. <laughs> I could find that, right? So it's interesting. That's not what's going on with the Catholic Church. But look at when Paul is saying, now back to 1 Timothy, when Paul was saying that you are, you know, the church is a pillar and a support of the truth, right? He says this right between two passages that actually condemn the practice of the Catholic Church celibacy among the priesthood. Go look at 1 Timothy 3, 15. We looked at it. But in case I'm delayed, I write to you so you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, somehow the church should be run, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Well, look at verses 1 and 2 of the same chapter. It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be what? Above reproach, what? The husband of one wife. Ooh. Now go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Just, and there's no chapter breaks in the original. You just keep reading. But the Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, explicitly says that later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own consciences as with a branding iron, men who, what? Forbid marriage. And, abstain, abstain, and, and, and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created. By the way, the Roman Catholic couldn't eat. We couldn't eat. We, ate, we had to eat vegetables or fish on Fridays when I was a little kid. Anybody else go through that? Thank God I like fish. Otherwise, it'd be like torture. But it's interesting. That's because the Roman Catholic Church, I grew up as a, as a kid. You know, my parents were Roman Catholic. Went to catechism, and they stopped going to church when I hit like sixth grade or something. But you know what? I'm reading right here in this text that Christian leaders, they don't have to, but they could be or should, you know, the, the husband of one wife. And that's a doctrine of demons for men to say that you can't marry. Yet I'm supposed to believe the Roman Catholic Church is infallible or that they even hold up the truth of God's word when they can claim this verse but can't even get the verses around it right? Are you with me? Now, we are not, the, we're not infallible. We uphold God's word. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 1, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ, as stewards of the mysteries of God. We're servants of Christ. We're stewards of God's word. Amen? 9.17, Paul says, For if I do this, my own will, I have a reward. But if on my own will, I am still entrusted. I'm sorry. Uh, of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. We're stewards. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our foundation. Amen? Now, we're pillars, and we support the truth. But Jesus Christ is our foundation. And you know what it says the church in Ephesians chapter 2? It says that the church is built on the foundation. I think this is a great, I love these verses, but it talks about how the church is built on the foundation of Christ and the apostles and prophets. 
Isn't that interesting? So the church, even us, we're not even the foundation. We're built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the ultimate foundation. Now on him, as part of the foundation that's on Christ, is the apostles and prophets. But guess what? It says the church is built on that foundation. We're not the foundation. We're the pillars and support on top of that foundation. And we get support from the ultimate foundation, which is Jesus. And we still get support from the apostles and prophets, right? Because they've given us the written word. Amen? And their word that was communicated to them orally, or that God, and that God, they put from pen to, to, to paper as scripture, or that God inspired them to write. We have that authority right with us right now. It's the word of God. Amen? That's why we can say, thus saith the Lord. That's why I can say to you, regarding an elder, could he have more than one wife? You, you say, nope, husband of one wife. And you said it with authority. A bunch of you just put a finger out. Nope, one wife. I'm like, whoa. Well, praise God. I'm like, praise God. You, as a church, are upholding the truth of God's word. Amen? Amen. Now, you could be a Roman Catholic visiting and say, no, a leader of the church, the Pope, you know, cardinals or whoever, priests, they cannot have a wife. They have to be celibate. And I could say, based on what scripture? And they would say what? Uh, well, uh, well, we're infallible. No, you're not, man. In fact, I know you're not infallible based on what God's word said and because you're right there contradicting God's word. Amen? So, brothers and sisters, uh, 1 Timothy 3.15 does not support the Roman Catholic Church and their claim to infallibility. Amen? We have to stick by God's word. And here's the beautiful truth, you guys, that, uh, and I love this, the same Greek word that's used for pillar there is used in Revelation 3.12, where it says, the one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Okay? And it's used in Revelation 10.1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. Now it's interesting here, guys, because how does this apply to you and me? As number one, we need to make sure that we order our conduct according to God's word. Amen. This is the scriptures written so we would know how to behave in the household of God. And he wants everything to be done decently and in order. Amen. Amen. And he wants us to be an orderly people. You know, that's why we don't believe in swinging on chandeliers and rolling up and down the aisles and barking and and laughing like hyenas and barking like dogs and screaming like hyenas or laughing like hyenas, I guess, I guess that would be right. Like is happening in the so-called laughing revival. That's why we look at things, we test them by scripture, you know. And that also means that we test what is taught. I always tell you guys, test what I'm saying, amen. You know, and then we, we're humble about what we know. We recognize, you know what, it's by God's grace I know that I, what I know, Amen. I shouldn't even be saved. I should be lost, but by his grace I'm saved. So that we're gentle and loving to people that don't see the truth. So when I'm talking to a Roman Catholic on the streets, I don't just get my Bible out and start hammering them with my Bible. You know? I try to recognize, man, that could be me. I was there. I was actually lost, you know, any lost person. And you pray, God, help me, use me and help me to share. Remember, I kind of try to give the example of the lepers. Remember the three lepers came over the hillside? And they just were starving and they thought maybe the Assyrians will let us eat and if they kill us we're going to die anyway. And, and God <laughs> caused the sound of a, an army and they all fled and this, 
here these guys kind of mosey over and they're like, they left. They got all this food. And one of the lepers says, hey, how could we not share this with the other people in Israel? And, I, and I've tried to say, you guys, look, we've received this by God's grace. Let's not hide it. Let's share it with others. Amen. So we have so many people that need to be reached. And praise God. I mean, we literally were able to extend a track to more than half of Simi Valley's houses. Okay. How many got that track? Anybody get that in the mail? If you're 93065 area code, you would have got it. And we know people, a lot of times, just throw them away. And I'm always like, man, we need to put how to get saved on there, man. Whether they come to the church or not, it'd be great if they come and visit. I think we had more people between the, the Sunday morning service and this service than I've probably seen. We've put the two groups together uh, on the uh, sunrise service. I was, we were most by far that we've ever seen one move on the grass. And, but it was crazy because a lot of people didn't come from that. A lot of people came from word of mouth. You know, people that had seen us through the internet and had been watching for some time from different states and places. So that was pretty cool. But uh, you guys, we, we exist to uphold the truth. So you need to make sure, how am I upholding the truth? First and foremost, where should you uphold the truth? In your own life. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, what does he say? It's right there. Let's read it. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Amen? Amen. So we should be paying close attention to our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul says, Examine yourselves. Christ is in you unless you're reprobate. Amen? He says, Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Christ is in you unless you're reprobate. Like, if I'm living a wicked life, that would show that I'm not in the faith. It would contradict that. So I've got to watch my life. You have to watch your life. And you watch your doctrine. Notice he says, not just your life or your behavior. He says, watch your what? Your doctrine. Doctrine is so important. And I'm telling you right now, why are there so many churches, Joe, that have so much false doctrine? Because people don't care about truth anymore. Remember it says in, in 2 Timothy 4.3, They'll tickle people's ears. People, people will look for people to tickle the ears and tell them what they want to hear. It's not just the fault of the false teachers. It's the fault of people not caring about the truth. And so these things grow and grow and grow when there's all these weird doctrines going around that are unbiblical. You need to love truth. Because Jesus said you will know the truth, and the truth will set you're free. Amen. If the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. This is all very, very vital. It's very, very important. In fact, we have to be careful too because Timothy, uh, most scholars believe that Timothy was timid a bit to a degree, you know. And Paul warns him, encourages him in 2 Timothy, 2, 2 Timothy 1 7. He says to Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Amen. And what Paul is telling Timothy, the Holy Spirit that you have, and Timothy has a spirit. He's a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. One of my application points at the end of my resurrection message was the benefits of the resurrection, and one of them is that we've been given power from the Holy Spirit, amen? We need power to live life, amen? How do we have victory over sin? How do we have victory over temptation? How do we have power and, and victory to beat timidity and our lackadaisical attitudes, apathy, and maybe kind of not maybe, oh, I don't know if I can go out and witness how are people to, to overcome cowardice. The power of the Holy Spirit. 
And I shared with you the same power, it says in Romans and in Ephesians, same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit, is the power that lives in us. Amen? I love Jeremy Camp's song, Same Power. If you haven't heard that, man, that's an awesome song. You know? But I love what Paul says. But I didn't have time to point this out in my message last Sunday, but it's really interesting. When Paul says, and I quoted this verse in Ephesians 3.20, which I think is so important. When Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could dream or even imagine, according to the power that works within us, be glory in the church throughout every generation, meaning right now as well. That verse is just dynamite. Power, dunamis, from which we dynamite. That power that's available to you is available to the church throughout every generation right now to you as well. What, and what I did point out was this. The first three chapters that I pointed this out before, but not in connection with this verse. I've never pointed this out throughout my entire ministry because I didn't see it until just a little bit ago. Because I always point out that the first three chapters of Ephesians are all, there's not one command about how to live your life as a Christian. There's not one command saying do this, don't do that. The first three chapters are all theology. So powerful. But the last three chapters, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, the very first verse of verse 4, I love chapter 4, verse 1. Since I was a new Christian, I love that. He says to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now is a command. Walk worthy of that first three chapters that your names are written in, that you're, that you're seated in heavenly places, that you're saved by grace through faith, that the angels are tripping out on what God's done through the cross to save you, that you were chosen before the foundation of the world, amen, that you've been predestined to glory by, according, to God's, according to God's plan that whoever would believe would be saved. And it's just based on all this truth and that God's made the Jews and, and the Gentiles in Christ one body. And this mystery was hidden from time past, but he's now revealed to us all these truths. Boom. Now based on that and based on who you are in Christ, walk worthy of your calling. But right before he says to walk worthy of your calling, that's where he says that God, unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you dream or think according to the power that's within us. Amen. You walk on the basis, in the basis of that strength on the basis of that resurrection power, amen. You uphold the truth of God's word on the basis of the Holy Spirit dwelling within the church because Ephesians 2.22 says we are a habitation of the Holy Spirit, amen. Say, God, give me strength to uphold your truth and give me strength to live it. And first and foremost, you live it at home because Paul said before he tells these elders that they could be elders, I'm sorry, when he says to choose among elders, he says what? They must have godly families. They must be managers of their children, Right? Husbands and one wives, they must be godly. If they're, if they're married, they better be godly parents. Amen? Godly spouses. Before they can be, how can they manage the church of God? They can't manage their own household, Paul says. So brothers and sisters, what he's saying is, in your own homes, whether you're a leader or not, and all of us should be leading by way of example, amen? And many of you are leading young people. You're leading people to Christ. You're leading by example. Your friends, you're sharpening the iron. We ought to be making sure our own walks are right and pure before God. Amen? that we're seeking to live godly lives. And later he says to Timothy that, that, he, that God uses vessels that are fit for his service. Amen? That we ought to be holy vessels, fit for the master's service. Amen? So I want to encourage you guys, rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to uphold God's word. Pray God use me. Live for him. Watch your life and your doctrine. Don't say it doesn't matter how I live. It matters how you live. Don't say it doesn't matter what I believe. It matters what you believe. Because you can believe in a false gospel and not know Christ.
You can fall into a false doctrine and think that, oh, once I've been saved, I can do whatever I want and end up going to hell. Because Paul says, don't be deceived by that. The wicked will not inherit God's kingdom. You'd be led in all kinds of weirdness and away from God. Last verse I want to share with you. Go to Revelation chapter 3. I alluded to this one already. But guess what's going to happen if you uphold God's truth? I love it because Jesus has, he tells five of the seven churches he addresses in the book of Revelation to repent. To repent, right? There's only two churches he doesn't tell to repent. The church at Smyrna, they're the suffering church. There's a church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, second church, the church at Smyrna. They don't have to repent, man. He warns them that they're going to suffer for 10 days. He says, be faithful to death, I'll give you the crown of life, and so forth. Uh, but the church at Philadelphia, he loves his church, and he commends them because they have kept the word of his perseverance. And he loves this church because they're keeping his word in verse 10. Then look at the promise he gives them in Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. He who overcomes, I will what? Make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. And you guys remember when we studied the book of Revelation, the dimensions of New Jerusalem are the same dimensions, but way bigger. As the Holy of Holies, where only the priests could go. And the glory of God was there. And it will be lit up. And God, there will be no need of the sun, will be in his very presence. And if you uphold God's truth right now as a pillar, amen, and a support of God's truth, and you don't compromise, you'll be a pillar in his presence forever and ever. Is that an awesome promise? Glory be to God. And glory be to God, I never stopped five minutes early. This is really strange. Some people are saying, I bet he still doesn't get done. You might be right. Go ahead, let's all stand up. Lord is good, amen? amen? Praise God, you guys. And you know what? I don't know if you peeked at the next verse. <laughs> the next verse is amazing. And I did not dare go into it because it's just so just filled with God's truth. But you guys, uh, sometimes I compare the midweek study to like, you know, as you get low on gas during the week, you get filled up, amen, and, uh, and, and encouraged, hopefully, by his word. But that verse right there, is it precious or not? What's our role? To what? Uphold God's truth, amen? Proclaim the gospel. Shout it from, from the rooftops. Share it with family. Share it with friends. Amen? The more you do it, the easier it actually gets. Okay? It, well, what if somebody just gets upset with me? All those who live in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but Jesus says rejoice when you're persecuted, for you have treasure in, my, you have treasure in heaven, right? Amen? Praise God, you guys. And by the way, we have a bunch of tracks. You just give it to someone. If you're like, that's even hard. Well, give it to them and run. They might even read it. Like, why did that person run? What's in here? Is it ticking? <laughs> you know? Just... Share the gospel. But uh, I love you guys. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. It's so beautiful, Father. And we thank you, Father, that even the, the, the greatest try by false religious systems to try to get us to deviate from your word, to trust them instead of your word, fail. 
And we test what they say by your word. We thank you, Father, that you've given us your word. We thank you, Father, that you've given us your son. We thank you, Jesus, that you shed your blood. We thank you, Father, that you've given us your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you've given us your love. We thank you that you've given us your promises, Father, and that we will pillars in your kingdom, in your glory, in your new Jerusalem forever and ever. And we just look forward to being even more deeply in your presence for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's get